Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. Growing up in Scotland, what is the first brand you remember making an impact on you? <laughs> and only the Scots would know this brand. Go for it. Iron Brew. I know Iron Brew. <laughs> it's that sickeningly sweet soft drink, right? Yes. I know it. That's exactly right. <laughs> So what did you like about it as a kid? Was it the package? Was it the sweetness? Was it the advertising? Everything? <laughs> it was It was the sweetness and the color. And it was, you know, so it, it was so different. And it was also, I think there was a, a, a cachet about it because you couldn't get it in England. You know, it was something that was, that was very Scottish. <laughs> it, was, it was fun. Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. My guest today on the CMO Podcast is a native of Scotland and currently serves as SVP and Chief Marketing Officer at Intel, the iconic tech company founded by Robert Noyce and Gordon Moore in Mountain View, California in the tumultuous year 1968. Intel's market cap is roughly $260 billion with about $78 billion in revenue. Karen has been at Intel for about 19 months and before that she served in senior roles at Cisco 10 years and Hewlett-Packard, eight years. Karen's career has taken her to three continents, Europe, North America, and Asia. Karen got the STEM bug early. She earned a bachelor's degree with joint honors in chemistry and business studies from Loughborough University in England. This is my conversation with Karen Walker. Welcome to the CMO Podcast, Karen. Well, our timing on this recording is absolutely perfect. We are recording just a day or so after you launched the Justin campaign. And so I have to start with, there's got to be a story here. You know, where did this idea come from? What's the strategy behind it? And what about the culture at Intel for stepping out and doing this? It was... I think cheekier than I've seen Intel in the past. <laughs> I, I can be quite cheeky. I really can. Um, no, so the, it, it's actually, we're really thrilled about the campaign. It's called hashtag go PC. Uh, so please follow us. And uh, Jim, you're quite right. What we did is we brought back Justin Long uh, to come back and to really in a very um, funny, we hope we got the time, the, 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 uh, we hope we got the, the tone and the humor right. Um, but it was, this is what Apple is saying. This is what, you know, you can do on the PC and just really doing that, you know, straightforward comparison in terms of the functionality and the form factor of the PC and how Apple compares to that. And I guess what spawned this was, um, you know, when, uh, Apple first launched their M1 chip and they made a, an absolutely outrageous claim that the MacBook Air 
outperformed 98% of all PCs. And so we thought, you know what, we've got to put this right. You know, we've got to, we've got to tell the truth here. And so in contrast for us, and there's honestly, Jim, there's areas where Apple's technology is better than ours. Uh, but what we've done is we've been fully transparent about that. And we've put all of our benchmarking on our website where you can see where Intel and the PC ecosystem is stronger than Apple. And there's some areas that we still have some work to do. So it was, you know what, we've got to put this straight. This is not right. They're not telling the truth. And so that that's kind of what spawned it. Um, and, you know, we also have at the same time have actually launched some really killer technology. The Evo uh, notebook, I, it's Beautiful. Yep. It is stunning. And so actually, Justin took one after he left the shoot. He didn't steal it. We gave it to him. But he was like, he was so excited because I don't want the PC to be positioned where, you know, it's utilitarian, it's very functional. Um, you know, you don't have to give up brilliant and beautiful design any longer. And so that was the other thing that we wanted to really make sure that we got across too. So it, it, it's been a, a great couple of days. And and the you know the tone of voice of it is I think an evolution for Intel right a bit more mm -hmm. humor and a bit more uh, I don't know you're it's clearly a product differentiation I mean it's a classic in a way uh, an old time PNG yes. you you talk yes. about where you're different uh, but I think it was done in a really uh, lovely delightful fun tone so I hope we see more of that I'm sure we will oh you will and also what's really exciting is our partners are super excited about this too, because they wanted, you know, Intel to step up and to, to tell the story so they can then build from that. So you'll see this amplification from the whole PC ecosystem continue. But thank you. We re worked really hard on the tone because we wanted to make it funny and humorous, but also we, I have a lot of respect for Apple, but so we wanted to sure. get that right, that right balance there. So, so thank you for that. That was what we were aiming for. So Karen, from idea to execution, how long did that take? About four weeks. Very good. <laughs> it was very good. I I big call out to my team and our amazing agency partners, but yes. Is that something that you think is a function of how you're working differently during COVID, or would it have taken four weeks two years ago? That's a great question. Um, I think it is a COVID thing. Actually, because at the end of last year, we uh, relaunched the Intel brand right in the middle of COVID. Um, and, and so we work so quickly. And I don't, I think it is because we're able to work virtually and around the clock and the teams were in different places. Um, you know, I, I kind of worried about that a little bit because typically when you're going through a creative process, you're used to being in a room and, mm -hmm. and looking at things. And, you know, it, so that was a little bit strange. But it actually worked beautifully. Um, and it, I think it did allow us to work more quickly and more cohesively as a team. Um, we, we did that body of work in about eight weeks. So we are learning as a team to, to move faster. And I hope you'll see more of that from us. We're going to talk about the brand refresh in a moment. But I want to, before we get too far into this podcast, I'm going to go to sort of a life choice place with you. Because the last time I think we were together was the fall of 2019. It was at the Kellogg School at Northwestern. And you were speaking to a classroom 
of executives. It was an executive education program for you know kind of next generation CMOs, and you were you couldn't get there physically. You were there virtually. Uh, I was in the room as well, and you had just announced you were leaving Cisco, and I got the vibe that you were sort of going to chill a bit with your three beautiful adult children and your husband, and you have so many passions in your life. I sort of had the feeling you were going to not retire, but chill. And then you're at Intel. So Yeah. So please share with us, you know, what happened? Um, it was really interesting because I was able to take a little bit of time as I was as I was leaving Cisco. They were very gracious and gave me some time uh, to me to transition the team. And Jim, I have too much energy. I think I would drive everyone crazy if I, you know, stopped working and kind of was hanging out at home too much. I do have a lot of passion uh, for many different areas, both, um, you know, whether that's sport or whether it's interior design or, you know, all sorts of things. So I'm sure I could fill my day. But I just really, when I saw Intel, I thought, my goodness me, you know, there's the iconic brand. They put the silicon in Silicon Valley um, I saw a lot of opportunity for, you know, really getting that mojo back in the company and, you know, talking about the you know, us being on the front foot and uh, and really transforming how we were as an old world, slightly sleeping giant mm-hmm. and waking us up and kind of, you know, really putting off uh, our foot forward. And so when you change your brand strategy, that really signals a change in your business strategy. And so... That's what was really exciting to me. And that's what attracted me to Intel. So a little bit on the personal front, I think I would have driven everyone crazy right. hanging out at home. <laughs> were, you, were you at a point, though, where you were thinking about kind of chilling a bit and the Intel one was just too irresistible? Um, no, you, you always saw yourself moving on to something else. So I was getting the wrong vibe in that room. Yeah, no, I, I would. I was definitely not ready um, to uh, to to retire. Um, but I, I, but I was thoughtful in terms of there were different opportunities. Do I did I want to go to a startup? Did I want to do another big company? And so um, you know, as you know, Jim, that, that's the wonderful thing about being in the valley. It's, you know, there's just such some wonderful choices. And and also because I have three grown up kids, you know, we could, um, you know, we, we could think about doing different things, moving, living in different places again. So it was an exciting time. But no, the, in, in, when Intel came, it was like, oh, my goodness, I, I can't resist this one. Yeah, I can. I can see that. Karen, let's now talk a bit about your startup at Intel. You're 18 months in the job. And you could not have imagined when you said, "Let yes, what lies ahead? A global pandemic, of course, you know, six months into your job, political and social unheaval, un- upheaval, a new CEO, a major brand refresh, right? We're not talking about something minor here. And I'm sure I've only hit 10% of it. So I'd like you to, you're, a, you're an experienced executive, which we'll get into later, but I want to know: Are there if you if you return to the Kellogg School to that same classroom, what would you tell them about the last eighteen months? What lessons have you learned? Are you a different leader from the last eighteen months than you were when you stepped into the job? Uh, that, that's a that's a great question. And Jim, you're so right. I would never, I could never have anticipated 
what 2020 would bring and just the amount of of change and um, just the, the time it was for the whole world. I think 2020 will probably be the story of all of our lifetimes. Um, but I, I was, I, again, very excited about rolling my sleeve up, seeing the challenge, seeing the opportunity uh, for Intel to really get their mojo back. And um, and so, and I tell you, I had to completely rebuild my team. So that was another thing as a starting point um, is to create a vision for what was the role of marketing inside of Intel. Um, Intel had been without a CMO for about 15 months. And so coming back in, um, it was, what is marketing? What can marketing do to have an impact on the business? What is your vision? What does that marketing organization look like? What's the, the contribution? Uh, that's needed. And um, I, a, a big deal for me is I didn't want marketing to be considered as the arts and crafts function, is that we are an accountable driver of revenue growth. And so to really paint that picture and have that vision was something that, uh, with a lot of support from Bob Swan, our CEO at the time, that was the right direction to take, to take the uh, marketing team. Also, um, we wanted to have where marketing was connected from brand all the way down to demand in the country. And previously, we had really got into some very creative marketing, you know, with drone shows and Leggy Gaga. Um, but our employees and our customers were confused because it's like, you know, how is that tied to kind of semiconductors, you know, what's the connection here? So we made a very conscious choice that our brand had to be in service of our purpose, of our partners, our portfolio, and our people, the new four Ps. So it was really, um, you know, really shifting the direction of the team and what our role and purpose was inside of the organization. I hired my new leadership team, um, I've only met about three of them actually in person. Mm. <laughs> so it's just that that's that's a little strange. Um, but we have, I, I don't know, back to this COVID thing, we've all gelled and we've got used to this way of, of virtually uh, engaging with each other. Um, you're right, we relaunched the brand. Um, we launched Evo, which was the biggest launch in our client computing organization in over a decade. And we chose to bring those together. We didn't refresh the brand at a corporate level. We brought the new brand campaign alive through a major launch. And you'll see that consistently because we just think that it all has to be connected uh, to each other. Um, yes, the brand, the brand launch was a little scary. So again, we'd move very quickly, Jim, you asked this earlier, um, but in our earnings release uh, back in June, we announced that our products were slipping and our stock price dropped 16%. Mm -hmm. And it was, hmm, we're in the middle of a pandemic. We've just had our stock price drop 16% and we're going to come out. We're going to relaunch our brand. Woo! <laughs> I remember so, <laughs> very vividly, actually. And so it was like, what do we do? Do we do we wait and and also social all the social unrest at the same time, and I was so worried about us being tone deaf, and you know not coming out with something that was um, just for the you know just for the brand's sake. But we have a business to support. We had a launch to have, to get out there, and so we kind of got back to okay, we're going to do this. We'll give it some time. We'll make sure that we're very respectful in our tone. But also we wanted to give 
ourselves, the world, perhaps something joyous, something wonderful, you know, something happy that, you know, that you could then start to raise our spirits and turn that corner. And, and so that's what the Do Something Wonderful campaign was all about. Karen, you said so much rich stuff there. I'd just like to pause for a moment and ask you a bit about um, sequencing. And you talked about defining the role of marketing at Intel and and linking it to the driver of revenue growth, right? To be a, a driver of revenue growth. You talked about relaunching your brand. You talked about the four Ps, purpose, platform, portfolio, people. Wow. I mean, that that's a lot of heavy lifting. Any one of those in a company is heavy lifting. So could you just pull the curtain back a bit about how you approach that. And as you think about your 18 months, I mean, it's all interconnected, right? But it just how did, you, how did you tackle it as a new CMO? Um, it, it was very challenging. I knew going in that the first year was going to be a, a challenging year, even pandemic aside, because that, that is where you, you do come in and you, you, you do a reset. Um, you listen hard. I did 90 days of listening. Um, and just whether that was from our customers and partners, um, that, that was actually my first outreach was to the CMOs of our, uh, of our major partners, uh, to our customers, to our sellers and to our employees and just got a really good 360. And th- th- it was very consistent in terms of what the challenges were and what the opportunities were. So it was then the, the question. It wasn't the, the why or the what. It really became the how, and and Jim, you're right. It, it was an awful lot in one year, and so I think the challenge was how do I break this down? How do I how do I break this down for me? Mm-hmm. Never mind that, but for my whole team, and to to bring the team along and to and, and to really sort of lay out that exciting vision for the future, um, and and that's where I put a huge amount of energy in. There's actually a quote that I love that I'm going to share with you from, uh, and I, you know, I'm a big uh, furniture and industrial design um, fan. And so th- this, this quote is from uh, Max Dupre. And he said, basically, the first responsibility of a leader is to define reality and shape the vision. I added that little bit in to shape the vision. The last responsibility is to say thank you. Mm. And the rest in between, the leader is a servant. And I just love that because I think that one thing that was very important to me that I also created a kind and caring but courageous culture. And that was something that we really had to um, to make a priority and a focus for us because the team had been leaderless for such a long time. And so we had to come back and redefine who we were. And um, and so that's why I love the quote, the, the last responsibility is to say thank you. And so... I, I just say thank you. I'm so grateful for my team every day. I think they're the best team on the planet. You probably have just answered this, but just to be crisp about it, what strength with you, Karen, did you really as a leader lean into in the last 18 months to make all this happen? I think there was two, if I'm allowed to. Mm-hmm. Um, it was um, kindness and courage in that I I knew we, need to made, we needed to make some big decisions. And... Uh, Always the hardest ones to make are those around your people and your team. Um, and so 
that took that took courage. It took courage to to do the brand launch six weeks after your stock price dropped sixteen percent. And so, there's things that um, you just know that these are the right things to do, uh, and you have to do them. But how you do them is also hugely important. And uh, you know, three grown kids, as we mentioned, Jim. But um, we've always told our kids to look for friends with a kind heart. And uh, over the period of years, they actually would verbalize that person has a kind heart. And so I think you can make tough decisions, but I think you can do it also with kindness. You talked about defining the role of marketing. Uh, That's an issue in so many companies. You know, you're involved in the industry. You know that marketing seems to have different capabilities in almost every company. So I would like you to share some insights with our listeners about when you tackle that question at Intel and I get the overall one, you know, that we want to be a driver of revenue growth as uh, as kind of a key attribute, but could you click down a little deeper as you think about the Intel that you and your team were evolving to, what were the most important marketing capabilities you wanted to be great at? And are there capabilities you had to sunset? or leave behind, or, or outsource, or, or, or whatever? So it's a, it's, a, it's a great question. And we we were at this position where we could step back and look at, based upon the role of marketing, which is uh, basically my job is to inspire people to prefer, choose, and advocate for Intel. I mean, it's really simple. Um, and so just to have, and, and the inspiration piece is hugely important um, because you're right. I think particularly, Jim, in B2B marketing, we will carry the burden of proof. What have you done for me? What is the role of marketing? Um, and uh, Mark Hurd used to have this wonderful expression, uh, tongue in cheek. He said, when business was good, it's good selling. and When business is bad, it's bad marketing. And yeah. so there, there is that burden. And, um, and so you just have to push through that. You have to be very clear about where you're adding value um, and, you know, and, having, and tying that back to the impact that it's having on the business. So for the Justin Long campaign, you know, we, we will see whether you know, the, our awareness and consideration and preference for the PCs in our ecosystem starts to rise. So um, the one thing I am a strong believer in, um, and I'll get back to your question in terms of the functions in marketing that, that I see to be um, most important, is that one, one thing that I've really encouraged my team to do is when you, do, when you launch a campaign or you have an event, have a very specific business goal. And so the number of times I've asked that question and they'll say, well, we, we don't really know. That's okay. Pick something. Just mm-hmm. pick something. And, you right. know, learn to test and test to learn. Just learn as you go along. You, you, it's not a failure because you're going to learn something. I don't have a problem if I see red dots on a, on a chart that shows red, yellow, and green. It means we're learning. We're pushing ourselves. Um, and if it's all green, it means we, we, we haven't set ourselves a big enough goal. Um, so that's a discipline I'm, I'm trying to really instill within the team. But one of the, one of the capabilities which we had lost, and, and Pat is so excited about this, is that we are- Your new CEO. Pat, our new CEO, thank you. We are one of the few technology companies that doesn't have their own signature event. We used to. And it kind of dissipated and, and faded away. 
but we intel will go to our partners events third party events but we didn't have our own moment in time where we could talk about our innovation our technology embrace our customers and partners and give them a great experience we walked away from that well we're bringing that back now i did have to persuade pat not to call it idf 2.0 <laughs> it's like <laughs> no <laughs> we're not going to do that let us handle the naming, right? We could do, we could do the naming, yeah. Pat. We got this. We got this. You stick to your day job. And so we, uh, but we've had some fun with, and he's very excited. And so uh, we're going to be commending those moments in the market where uh, together with our partners, with all of our ecosystem partners and our customers, uh, we're going to be loud and proud about Intel technology and talk about our innovation and talk about our leadership. Um, I think we have lost that muscle. And perhaps you could say, you know what, maybe you've thought that you never really had to because you've been in this wonderful position for so long. Well, you know what, times have changed and we have to step up to the plate and tell our story and, and really that be of value to our partners as well. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. We're going to come back to Intel and your role and actually the brand refresh. But I, I do, because of your background, I have a couple macro questions I want to ask you before getting back into the uh, more micro. And the first one is you've worked with just three of the companies that define Silicon Valley, right? So you started at Hewlett Packard, which is 82 years old this year, by the way, incredible. Then Cisco, who's 36 and 52-year-old Intel. And they're all still relevant which is not easy in any industry. So with your lens and these three iconic tech companies, what is your advice? What is the playbook? What are the principles for a company to thrive over decades in a very fast-paced industry? I love that question. And what I see in, in common in all three of these companies is um, – their obsession about their customers. And I think when the companies have, you know, got into trouble a little bit and maybe lost their way, and you could say over that long period of time, of course, that's going to happen. Um, and it's it's when we have uh, taken our eye off the customer and or have not anticipated where the customer wants to go next with you um, I think both for Cisco and for Intel, um, our customers want us to win. They expect more from us and they deserve better, but they want us to win. And they, they, will, they will ask you, give me the reason to believe to stick with you for the next 20 years. And that's not, that's not about your roadmaps per se. It's not about your pricing. It's about, you know, how can you really help me? And I know you're going to stick with me through thick and thin and really build that relationship and partnership. Um, I think that's that has also that's been I think a, a cornerstone. I think another cornerstone is how they have treated their employees. 
you need happy employees to have happy customers. And, you know, I think for, gosh, uh, I, w- I was privileged to have met both Bill and Dave. I'm probably dating myself now, but I joined HP straight from college. And my my mum and dad thought I was joining that steak sauce company, you know, HP. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. <laughs> you made a better choice, I think, with a tech company, Karen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they'd never heard of Hewlett Packard. And, you know, it was a very small company in the UK. It was only like two or 300 people. So it was like, joining a, you know, a startup, but oh my goodness, on my neophyte training coming to Palo Alto, um, just the HP way and just understanding what that was at the time, it was just revolutionary. And I think some of those tenants of the HP way have stayed with me. And when I went to Cisco, um, John, John Chambers, you know, basically you had to stand up in a company meeting and say where you'd come from. And he just said, Karen, welcome home. Oh, and wow. It, it, the, the culture was exactly the same. I think Intel's culture is equally as amazing. So I think those are, the I would say, the two common threads, Jim, mm-hmm. in terms of what, what keeps great companies great. I put out on Twitter that I was interviewing you today and, and asked people if they had questions, and we got a nice I response. Saw- and I want to draw out one uh, from a person named Kunal Mehta. And it's related to the question I just had, but maybe you will answer this one a little bit differently. His question, it's really good. What was the secret sauce for a B2B brand to become such a big household name globally, much before B2B marketing was as strong as it is today? Would you answer that any differently from what you just answered? I just add a third thing. Um, and I and I would use the, um, at the Cisco, the Bridge to Possible campaign, um, that uh, that was launched in 2000, gosh, 2018, um, which is now um, being described as the, the best campaign in the history of the company. And the, the Bridge to Possible campaign and the Do Something Wonderful campaign, um, I used a very similar playbook, if I'm being honest. So the Bridge to Possible was, you know, where Cisco's building the bridge between hope and possibility, the bridge is our logo. It's Cisco's logo. And it was something that was ownable by us. There were so many employees who didn't know that actually the logo was the Golden Gate Bridge. And so it was just a wonderful way, a very optimistic way to tell different types of stories. Um, the same with Intel. So the Do Something Wonderful campaign is, is from a quote by one of our co-founders, Robert Noyce. And it's now, don't be encumbered by the past, go off and do something wonderful. And it, it's in the heart and soul of our Intel employees. It really is. The quote is everywhere. And so what a wonderful platform, do something wonderful. Do, take action, something, big idea, wonderful, change the world. And so if you can tap into that emotional energy and find something that's authentic to who you are. The bridge was authentic to Cisco. Do something wonderful, authentic to Intel. You've built that emotional connection. The only other thing I would add on top of that is don't be boring. You know, I think B2B marketing has a reputation of, you know, especially in tech, perhaps that we're very serious, we're very factual. It's very, you know, here's the speeds and the feeds. And um, and you and I have talked about this before, Jim. You know, you're still marketing to a human at the end of the day, 
And, and, and that's one thing I've really learned over my career is that's so true. And it's, you know, when you have people come up to you and they're, they've got literally tears in their eyes because they've just seen something, you know, from your campaign and it just means so much to them. It's like, oh, wow. That can, it, it consistently surprises me. Well, Kunal, thank you for asking that question because that brought yes. out a really, really nice discussion with Karen. So, Karen, I want to move to the second question. Uh, these are all related, of course, but you, there, were, there were not a lot of senior women leaders when you entered HP in tech, period, but especially in tech. And you've reached a high level in all three of those companies. So, obviously, the environment has changed a lot since we began our careers. But what's your advice today to young women who want to build a career like yours in tech? which has been very storied. You work for amazing companies. You've, you've left a great legacy at each of those companies. What, what's your advice to young women today? Oh, now you're going to bring me to tears. Um, this is something I'm so passionate about. Um, when I went to university, again, I'm dating myself, I, my undergrad was in chemistry and I was one of five women in my graduating class. Um, and, you know, I drew inspiration from my mother um, who worked uh, in England in the 1960s, which was almost unheard of. And, you know, her advice to me was, you can do anything that you want. Her only career advice was to get a job with a company car. <laughs> pragmatic. <laughs> Very pragmatic. She, she, was a, she was a school teacher and ended up being a principal. And uh, so that, 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 was, that, was her, that was her advice to me. But she, she just really encouraged me. Um, and, you know, she encouraged me to have a strong work ethic. Um, which is important. You have to, you have to do your homework. You have to put your time in. Um, you, you know, you do have to be, um, driven. Um, but it's also back to the, the, the kindness and the courage piece is that I think people will gravitate to you, um, if they find a bond and something in common and if your values are in alignment, um, with theirs. And I'm finding that earlier in career, especially for young women, that's something that that's very important to them, that the company's purpose, who they're working for, um, are they, are they going to be, uh, respected? Are their voices going to be heard? Um, but, but that would be my, my, my advice for young women early in career. And, and I learned this the hard way is use your voice. Jim, I would sit in meetings and, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd say something, I'd make a comment or an idea and I'd be ignored. And then the person sitting next to me, the guy sitting next to me would say exactly the same thing. And it, he'd get all these attaboys. I'm thinking, okay, I know I've got a funny accent, but did they not hear me? Did they, you know, and it's, and also, um, you know, just something for me cultural when I moved to the, to the U.S., is that um, my British voice, my tone and tenor is a little bit quieter and softer. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I felt I had to like raise, raise my hand and just say, no, I, I, I have something I want to say. So I, I, would, I would use your voice because um, don't be intimidated. And, um, and you are smart. You deserve the right to be at that table. And if you don't feel there's a seat there, just pull one up and sit right down. Um, and just let your voice be heard. The, the, the other thing I would sit there and I'd have, I'd have a question and I think, no, that's a really stupid question. And I'd answer it in my own head. 
In other words, if I know the answer to the question, then the question's not worthwhile raising. And then again, the person next to me, that's a great question. I'm thinking, why didn't I ask that? Yeah. And and so it took confidence. And, you know, you 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 need to speak up. You need to have your voice. Find someone who can be a mentor and an advocate for you. But also, by the way, offer to be their reverse mentor. Mm-hmm. Because I know that I can learn an awful lot for those from those who are early in career, and um, and then it's a it's a win win. Last macro question is: you may get into some of what you just said, but you've worked on the ground in three big regions, right? Asia Pacific, North America, and Europe. What's one life or leadership lesson you've taken? in working in those three on those three different continents i the life lesson for me was uh doing it as early in my career as i could it's um i had a one-year-old our second son was born in singapore i think he was the biggest baby ever born in singapore (laughs) (laughs) he was almost 11 pounds (laughs) oh that that is a big baby i had a brother who was 11 or 12 pounds that was he, he was a big baby yeah, he was way overcooked. But I had two boys, and then um, we're still, you know, traveling around with uh, going out in the field with customers and, and spending a lot of time away from home. Um, I found that harder uh, in terms of the type of role um, that I had um, with uh, with three young children. Obviously, there was just my husband and I, so we were far away from England and away from home. Um, but absolutely embrace it. Living and working in a different culture is, I think, one of the best experiences. And I'm really encouraging my own children to do that. Um, although I do want them to come back and not, right. <laughs> yeah. and not go live in New Zealand permanently. What was the toughest adjustment? Was it working in uh, AP or US or, or something um, else? I would, so moving, moving to Singapore was, um, was a little bit, uh, tough at the beginning. I found the folks very, very welcoming and, and very, um, you know, but there was, there was a difference in the culture in terms of just what they looked at their leader to do. Um, and, you know, so coming from the U S where it's very open and collaborative and, you know, it's not as much commanding control. I mean, this, this Jim, this is, you know, 20 years ago now. So, but it's, um, but that was, a, that was a little bit of a, a learning for me because I would be having these discussions and I realized the team was all looking at me. I'm going, why are you looking at me? And then, well, we want a decision, give us direction. And so that, that was, that was good. That was the learning for me in terms of just being very sensitive to different cultural styles. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and making sure that you're respectful of that. Um, but I, I, it was, it was a great experience. I love Asia. It's still probably, still probably my favorite continent. Yeah. Favorite I never region. worked on the ground in Asia. I worked in Western Europe, Eastern Europe and North America at an acquisition. And, uh, if any, when I'm asked what I would do differently about my career, I, I said, I say I would be on the ground in Asia. I think that's one experience. I, mean, I was there a lot as CMO at P&G, but it's not like living there. I want to go a little, go back to Intel now. That was a great discussion and talk a little bit more about, you know, your work and what you're up to these days. The, the brand refresh that you did shortly after you joined and you did in the middle of COVID and you did it after stock price declined. 
you know, that's always a difficult exercise. You are a brand that has some that had some serious assets, right? Logo, color, mm-hmm. sound, on and on. So when do you know it's time to refresh? And as you go about that process, we talk a lot about purpose on this podcast. What is the role of purpose? And how does yeah. what role does that play in the refresh? So just share with us a bit, Karen, your learning in you've probably done many brand refreshes in your career, but this one it was a very hot visible one and a very recent one. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a it's a great question. And what we did, we actually um worked on refreshing the brand at the same time as refreshing the company's vision. And that was really the catalyst in terms of, you know, Bob and and Pat has completely embraced this as well in terms of the reason that Intel exists is to create these world-changing technologies that has an impact on every person's life on this planet. And so it was a very big, bold vision. And my job was, okay, so what does that mean? What does that mean for our employees? What does that mean for our customers? What does it mean for our partners? And so bring that vision to life and bring it to life through telling these different types of stories. And so that that's where I was very clear about those four Ps, the purpose, the portfolio, our partners and our people is that we had four four lenses to tell those stories and so so that was that was a signal to us that if you're if you're really thinking about a shift in the vision of your company a shift in your business strategy that's a good time to signal to the world that things have changed this is not the you know your 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 grandfather's intel this is a new company with a new way of thinking with a new vision for what they can do to impact the world. And so that that was the driver, Jim. Also, uh, the feedback we were getting uh, from our customers and also, frankly, from some of our earlier and career employees is that um, the look and feel was kind of dated. And it, we kind of looked old. And even the fonts that we used looked like, you know, computer programming language type of fonts. And so it was... Um, it was time to kind of just breathe some fresh air into our look and feel uh, to make us uh, feel more contemporary and modern and clean. Um, we, I, I was, I was coached very early on. Don't mess with the blue. You know, Intel is blue blood. You know, this is this blue is is our heritage. Um, but what I was able to do was to extend the palette to add you know, different colors to provide just, it was more lively and engaging because uh, we'd blue washed everything and turned it into, it looked like an old photograph in terms of just what we had done. So we just wanted to bring some pop, some color um, in into the, uh, into the, into the stories that we were telling. Um, and the, the executive team and the board I had to present to our board of directors back in September um, were just, Go for it. It's and also, by the way, our partners wanted us to do this too because they're looking back to Intel to say you need to go and reignite our ecosystem, reignite the whole category, and in data center. Basically, we need to know that you're there and you're serious about this big growth space for Intel. And so they wanted us to do that so they could then lift and build from that. 
And you'll also start us to see some really cool co-marketing with our partners. Um, just to 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 really leverage the strength of our whole ecosystem, because I think that's one of Intel's huge differentiators. So that was a little bit about the why. Yeah. How did you, you're, you're a big brand, you're all over the world. How did you bring everyone together on the restage? Because you talked earlier about you want marketing to affect the business, to be, you know, part of the business. So aligning and exciting everyone yeah. is such an important step. How how did that happen? Um, you, you just said it. it. It's a lot of heavy lifting. Um, you really have to listen. You have to... Um, what we did is with each of our... We did a roadshow with our executive leadership team. Uh, we painted the platform for change, the why. And we showed this is what it could be. And the the reaction, especially around, everyone loved the Do Something Wonderful platform. That that one for, for me was, um, that was an easy one just because I knew how well loved that, that statement was. And so that was a very, very easy, um, easy sell. The the visual ID was a little bit harder. And, and typically what would happen is you'd go through the presentation and then, you know, you'd end with the logo. We're going to change the bong a little bit, but this is what it looks like. This is how you'll show up online and in campaigns and on swag and in your workspace. And then you'd go back and show, okay, this is the before and this is the after. And then you start to see the heads nod. Mm, side by side, yeah. When, when you first showed them the, the Intel logo without the swoosh, it's like, oh, someone's taken my blankie. Someone's taken, you know, and what I don't like that. And but by, you know, I would say we were surprised by about the next 30 minutes. It was almost like they were there. And so it's that's good because instinctively, if you get that reaction, because typically people hate having their logo changed on them. Um, so when you get a positive reaction at the end of the meeting, um, then you know you're onto something. So, but it was it was a lot of listening. It was a lot of getting support, uh, giving examples. Uh, we shared it with our partners, got their feedback because we wanted to make sure it worked with their marketing campaigns too. Um, it's you've got to put the work in. And you start it with a, with a compelling reason why, right? This yep. is why we're why? changing. This is our vision for the future. And once people understand the why, I find them much more open to. To change that's 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 right they understand the why and the how are you going to get there and so you know we again in the middle of a pandemic i think we were very practical and said we're not going to go out and do you know a big flashy you know lady gaga launch type of thing we were going to tie it back to we were choosing a moment in time when we were launching some fantastic technology to change the brand then and so I think the when you talk that through with folks in terms of actually it is in service of our business because that's how we're actually going to bring it to life, you, you again would start to see the heads nod. You talked about it being anchored in your brand purpose, which is a, a huge one and I think very genuine to you. What, what do you feel in the activation of that purpose has gone very well? And what are you still struggling with? So, great question. Um, 
So what where we think we've we actually have done really well is that we really believe our employees have embraced the new platform. Um, you know, again, it's been so hard, Jim, because typically, you know, if we were in the office, you would have the signage, you would have, and it was really weird. To, you yeah. know, we were doing a virtual company meeting and relaunching the brand. And, you know, we sent uh, our employees T-shirts and stuff at home, but it still didn't, you know, it was still a bit odd. It was still a bit strange. Um, but I think that momentum we we offered actually, free swag for a t-shirt for every employee in the company and literally within three days we were sold out it's a good sign holy it's a good sign holy moly okay good that's good um so i think we've been really really pleased with our employee response night and that that was a big deal to me because i think that's the cornerstone if your employees believe it then they will share that that joy um i think the team did a fantastic job on digital in terms of getting, um, in the, getting us out there uh, and refreshing the brand. We also had to refresh everything on digital that was COVID sensitive. So we changed the tone of all of our messaging uh, as a result. Um, the place where you'll see us doubling down next is on our Team Blue. And so, or our Blue Crew, we haven't quite figured out what we're going to name it yet, but this is a social ambassador program that we're launching uh, that we really want our employees and our partners to be amplifying our social stories um, and to and to really engage. Um, and so you'll see us do much more of that in the future. And that's why, again, Justin Long was so popular because it's so tweetable. And, uh, you know, it's just the really nice format for social media. Uh, so you'll see us do more of that, Jim. Super. Last question before the lightning round. We talked about the importance of measuring measuring something and goals and what you learned early in your career. What are your most important KPIs right now, Karen? So for, for us, we are, uh, from a marketing standpoint, it is driving revenue, driving growth. Um, and having, I had it in Intel, I had it Cisco, excuse me, I had it Cisco, uh, a revenue goal. Uh, so it started with a pipeline goal and converted into revenue. Um, Intel's business model is, is a little different, and so that's a little harder for us to set a revenue goal. Um, but it is something that we're working with our partners and their marketing teams to show that we're actually together. We're driving revenue for, for both brands. Um, so that's going to be important to me. Um, the other thing that um, we're starting to lean into, uh, again, as a company, is customer experience and customer advocacy. And so uh, I want to build that as an initiative and a program uh, across Intel. And I think marketing can really lead that work into uh, not just behalf of marketing, but behalf of the company to really think about, you know, what is the experience that you're creating for your customers? And you set a goal by it's usually customer lifetime value or net promoter score is, a, is another big goal that we would have there. Um, and then engagement. And so on digital, um, you know, we're trying to move away from things like impressions. I mean, I can go mm -hmm. buy those. Right. It doesn't really tell me anything. And so we're starting to dabble a little bit with how can I see how effective my campaigns and my content is by the level of engagement that it's driving, that wonderful experience that it's driving, but also is it accelerating the time to a sale? 
Um, and then also thinking post-sale, which would be a new thing for Intel to think about. Something that a SaaS company thinks about mm -hmm. with customer success. But I think it's something that Intel will start to think about too in terms of having that technology with our customers. How do I help our customers use that technology in a more effective way? Um, so you'll see more of those types of things too. I love that. It's fabulous. Karen, I want to move to the lightning round. and. Uh, and the first question I have for you, and I did, I did a lot of research, I always do before these interviews, and I found a really interesting story about you when you lived in Singapore, written by a writer in Singapore. And I believe he said that your parents ran an orphanage. Your mom, mom you said, was a school teacher and a principal. Is, is that true? And if so, how did that help shape you, the Karen of today? Oh, wow. You are going to make me cry, Jim. <laughs> that's not my goal. No, right? <laughs> no it's, uh, it's, it's something that's uh, very near and dear to me. So my, uh, my dad was a Salvation Army officer. So he was a minister. Uh, and uh, that when they first, uh, as a, a very young family, uh, they ran what in England we would call a children's home, an orphanage. And so it was on the outskirts of Dundee in Scotland, and uh, my parents uh, did this because they felt that this was something that they could do uh, to help children and to honor the community. Um, and it was something that was very near and dear in, 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 to me. Um, it was it, growing up with children who were totally in need, um, who'd had some incredibly difficult life stories uh, or memories that will stay with me. And so um, what Richard and I, my husband and I are doing is we're uh, coming back to honor the Salvation Army and helping their causes in Silicon Valley um, in terms of just continue to, to pay it forward and to help both um, homeless people, but in particular homeless uh, children and, uh, and their mothers. So it, it did shape me. It, I grew up with 23 brothers and sisters. And yeah. um, just to have some, you know, wonderful, wonderful memories of that. You did do your research. Yeah, I do. I do. <laughs> more, more research here. Indeed. I believe your father-in-law was a football referee, actually for FIFA, so at the highest level. Yeah. Would you ever like to try that? Oh, no. Because I know you love football. <laughs> I love, I love, love football. Um it's really interesting because I, uh, Keith, my my father-in-law, he actually was also the general secretary of the North American Soccer Federation when uh, the World Cup came to to the U.S. Uh, back there in the in the nineties, and um, you know we were we are, we are a football mad crazy family. Uh, I will watch. Every league there is, whether that's the English Premier League, La Liga, League One, whatever, I will watch them all. I'll even watch them in languages I can't speak myself. Um, so it's, it is a passion. But being a referee, oh, my goodness, it is. I think it's the toughest job. Uh, even, even when the kids were playing football, it was, you know, the, some of the parents and they'd be so passionate and it's like, holy moly. And um, I remember a couple of times my father-in-law had to be escorted off the field because there was, 
you know, there were threats because the, the spectators felt that he'd made a wrong call and were really angry about it. So, um, but I, I love, I love watching the game. It's, it's, it really is a passion. And my home team, Sunderland, has just mm -hmm. got a new owner, a 23 year old, incredible. Um, I hope he invests in the club and because the town really deserves it. You recently received an honorary doctorate in business administration from the University of Sunderland. Why was that meaningful to you? What about that place and that honor? Oh, oh Sunderland's my hometown. Um, it's, it's where I grew up. Uh, for many of you who don't know where it is, it's in the northeast of England, uh, a very uh, blue-collar shipbuilding, coal mining community, um, uh, now very focused on government services. Um, but the people there are the warmest, the salt of the earth, wicked funny. Um, so as my hometown, it was very, very special. Uh, back to my passion for football, I was, a, I was a season ticket holder for Sunderland from a very young age. I would go to the matches religiously. So the passion for... Uh, I, I received the um, the doctorate actually at the Stadium of Light, which is Sunderland's uh, home ground. So that was special to me. And then the third thing, which is probably the most special of all, is that my mum graduated from university the year before I did. And she oh. graduated from Sunderland. Oh. So she, she went to, um, yeah, amazing, raising two kids running a home and a job. And also she got her education degree. So that's why it was special. I'm glad I asked that question. So Karen, what are you reading these days, watching or listening to that's inspiring for you or entertaining or <laughs> educational? I know this answer will not surprise you at all, Jim. I am still a big, huge fan of The Crown. And I was, I, I'm particularly interested right now because just where they are in their chapter is, is now I'm starting to remember those times as a child. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, when I see, um, believe it or not, when I was a lot younger, um, I think it must have been the nose. I looked like Princess Diana. And so I always felt like a little, you know, wore the little frilly blouses and, you know, was really into, we were pretty close in age, I think. And so just de seeing those stories and, you know, it just makes me a little bit homesick. Yeah. And uh, my, my uncle has this great um, expression, which is, you know, as, as you get older, you're like a tree, your roots start to come back to the surface. And so um, the crown makes me feel like it, I'm at home. I can still participate. I still feel very British, strangely enough. Well, Karen, I put you sort of through the emotional ringer over the last 50 minutes or so. So I'll give you the last word. Do you have any question for me before we sign off from this marvelous interview? Uh, Jim, so what do you think is our biggest opportunity when we're back? Maybe not to the old normal, but maybe to the new normal. And what do you think marketing can do to help mm. us reestablish what that new normal is? Karen, I would say two things. Do not forget the lessons we've just learned over the last 12 months. Agreed. About human to human 
getting in touch with our employees, our customers, balancing our lives, working faster, making decisions more quickly, being creative in our problem solving, you know, asking how people are doing before you jump into the details of the issues of the day. So let's not lose what's happened over the last 12 months about coming together as human beings. And the second one is, you know, we have seen the power of purpose in the last 12 months mm -hmm. with so many companies. And we've learned a lot about purpose over the last 12 months. And our customers are expecting that of us. So I think it's sort of a seize the day, carpe diem on purpose. Yeah. And, and let's activate it, bring it to life, measure it, and, and make this what we do as marketers. Bring the purpose to life with our customers and our employees and all stakeholders. It's fun, it's exciting, and it works. I love it. I love it. And we're going to do it. We are. We, are. we will. Karen, thank you again. It's just been, it's been delightful. Absolutely a pleasure. That was my conversation with Karen Walker. Three takeaways from this rich discussion. First one, say thank you. Karen shared one of her favorite quotes in a leadership description she tries to live every day. Leaders need to see reality, have a vision, and then say thank you. I love that. Second takeaway, be very clear about the role of marketing in your company and how it is linked to driving growth. Karen came into Intel, didn't feel the role of marketing was clear enough, and worked with her team and the company leadership about how they had to not only refresh the brand, but refresh the function in terms of what they wanted to be great at and the work they would do to advance the company's purpose. Third takeaway, just the power of being a mentor, finding a reverse mentor, helping people out. Karen is one of the early pioneering women in technology that rose to the top of three companies. And she spoke so beautifully about finding your voice, having a voice, taking a chair at the table, speaking up, and helping other women out. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribed so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.